90 plus percent of violence on the planet, all the trouble on the planet is caused by men. Mm. So I think the time has come that the only only people who can handle this are you know, women. We need more female literacy, we need, we need uh, more female leaders. Hello and welcome to Planet Critical, the podcast for a world in crisis. My name is Rachel Donald. I'm a lecturer, a climate corruption reporter, and your host. Every week I interview experts who are battling to save our planet. My guests are scientists, politicians, academics, journalists, and activists. They explain the complexities of the energy, economic, and political crises that we face today, revealing what's really going on and what they think needs to be done. This is a critical time for our planet. It demands critical thinking. Go to planetcritical.com to learn more and subscribe. This week, I spoke with Ajit Varki. Ajit is a physician scientist and a distinguished professor of medicine and cellular and molecular medicine at the University of California in San Diego. He's also the co-director of the Center for Academic Research and Training in Anthropogeny. This is an interdisciplinary research group that Ajit set up out of his interest in the question, where did we come from and where are we going? So it brings together researchers across the sciences and the arts in order to grapple with these huge questions, questions that Ajit says are incredibly important given the state of the world that we're in today and the fact that we are, in reality, creating our own destruction. Ajit joined me to talk about a new theory of mind and reality denial, essentially a singular evolutionary event that he proposes happened before our ancestors left Africa that allows human beings to be aware of our own mortality and utterly deny reality. The story of how Ajit came to work on this theory is quite astonishing. He was giving a lecture in anthropogeny, which is not his field. He is a doctor and cellular scientist, but he had a huge interest in it. That's what his research group was looking at as well. And so he set out to answer the question, why are we special? Why are human beings special? After the talk, a man approached him and said, you're asking the wrong question. It's not why are we special? But why isn't anyone else? This man was Danny Bauer, a fellow academic. They sat and talked for two hours and Danny explained his theory, this mortality awareness coupled with reality denial. And then they parted ways. Those two men never spoke again, but Danny's words bounced around Ajit's head for a couple of years and eventually he reached out to him only to discover that Danny had unfortunately died quite suddenly just a few months before. However, he'd been working on a manuscript which his widow gave to Ajit to complete and publish. That book is Self-Deception, False Beliefs and the Origins of the Human Mind. What Ajit and Danny propose is that what makes human beings different is that we have a theory of mind, that we not only have self-awareness, but we have awareness that others have minds independent of us. And that in realizing that awareness of others as other minds and independent and beings, we came to realize their mortality and therefore our own mortality. Now, Danny and Ajit say that such a thought, the realization of one's own mortality, would be so terrifying that this member of a species would fail to propagate, they would fail to reproduce, they would fail to pass on their genes. They wouldn't have the correct evolutionary fitness to survive. So how is it that we are here How is it that we're not all curled in balls on the street, panicking at the thought of our own death? They propose that concurrently, another cognitive trait was developed, and that was the capacity to utterly deny reality. We need to be able to completely ignore the fact of our own mortality in order to grapple with it, essentially. And they say that this reality denial explains our attitude towards many things. 
whether it's health, rebuilding cities in places where natural disasters repeatedly occur, the climate crisis. Danny's final chapters in his draft were about the fact that mankind is driving itself over a cliff, seemingly unable to stop, seemingly unable to grasp the reality of what it is doing. What's fascinating, as Ajit uncovers in this interview, is that it is very much the man of mankind that is driving that destruction, not the womankind. So buckle in, take a deep breath. Ajit is going to take you back to our ancestral origins a hundred thousand years ago, where something quite extraordinary happened in the minds of human beings that set us apart forever. I hope you all enjoy the episode. If you do, please share it far and wide. If you're loving the show, support Planet Critical with a paid subscription at planetcritical.com or on Patreon. By signing up, you'll also get access to the weekly article I write inspired by each interview. Thank you to everyone who has signed up and is supporting the project. I'm a vehement believer in ad-free and open access content, so Planet Critical wouldn't exist without the direct support of the amazing community. Thank you so much to all of you who keep the project going every week. Ajit, thank you very much for joining me on Planet Critical. I'm really excited to talk to you about your work. Could you give uh, your career background for listeners that maybe haven't heard before we go into your uh, book, Self-Denial? Went to medical school in India and Christian Medical College, Bellor, came to the U.S. with $6 in a suitcase and <laughs> then went on to get, become a professor at UC San Diego eventually. I'm really a physician by background, but I got very interested in human origins and got more into it over time. And how did you come to work on this theory, the mind over reality transition and, and reality denial? So in looking at all the things that humans do and and behave, there's a lot of un- unexplained things. So I got interested because I was even the physician, I was comparing humans and chimpanzees for disease and found that humans are very unique diseases. Then I got interested in human evolution. That's the disease is another story altogether. My wife, Nessie Varki, who's a pathologist, and I got together and we started pursuing this question, formed this organization called CARTA. And we, I'm basically interested in the origin of humans and how we got here. And now, of course, it's become very critical because we don't know how we got here. We don't know where we're going. Mm. And the peculiar thing that happened is I met uh, somebody who had a theory about this, Danny Brow. And he said, you're asking the wrong question. You shouldn't be asking what made us human. You're asking, what about everybody else? What, what about the elephants, dolphins, crows? How come they're not taking over the planet? How come just one lineage of humans emerged from Africa and took over everything and now they're destroying everything? Danny Barry asked this question. Um, you shouldn't be thinking about where we or what's so special about us, but what impeded other species from developing this sort of human-like cognition? Um, and how did you begin to answer that question? So he, he suggested something already, which was that humans are aware of their mortality. And the only way to get around that is somehow change your human mind so that you can ignore, ignore reality and mortality. Otherwise, you're not going to go forward, basically. So I coined the term psychological evolutionary barrier. You mm-hmm. can think of a physiological evolutionary barrier, going water to land, not easy. You try many times and a few species make it. And this is, mm-hmm. I think there's a psychological evolutionary barrier that stopped all, all smart, warm-blooded creatures for the last four, five hundred million years. We came through the wormhole, basically, and this us. And so that, that, in order to get through that, you have to understand the minds of others. When you understand the minds of others, you understand that they have minds of their own, and when one of them dies, then you realize you're going to die. Once you realize you're going to die, then you're not going to participate in reproduction or anything. You're not going to take any risks. 
And so I think many times creatures like us and others went through this process and failed. And this one time, the combination of reality denial and theory of mind got together in the same people. That's the theory, basically. So theory is consistent with all the known facts, but cannot be formally proven. Right, okay. So the uh, theory of mind is an awareness of oneself and an awareness of others, and therefore one an awareness of mortality, one's own mortality and the mortality of the group who are like you but not you. And you're saying that uh, surely uh, upon sort of having that cognitive realization, we wouldn't advance evolutionary because the terror of that, of knowing one's own mortality, would impede any sort of member of the species from passing on their, their genes. Um, and so at exactly. the same time, concurrently, there had to be this uh, reality denial component to our psychology, which allows us to know that we are all going to die at some point, but essentially ignore it um, or take risks or live optimistically in order to, to advance. Right. I agree right. with everything you said. One thing is self-awareness, recognizing yourself in a mirror. Works for chimpanzees, dolphins, birds, elephants, all those creatures we just talked about. So self-awareness is already there for long, hundreds of millions of years. And the transition from the self-awareness to the awareness of the self-awareness of others, that's a difficult step to take. Because you know, there's all this evidence that elephants and dolphins, etc., do react to death. They try to mm -hmm. interact with the dead, dead body, maybe occasionally, but then they, they don't follow up. They don't have a funeral and have a, you know, anniversary and so, so forth. So we crossed over well, that barrier. That's the theory, basically. Well, what's the difference if, if a species can grieve the loss of another, but just not perform any funeral rites? What what is that? What's the distinction there? A distinction is that an elephant may go and roll bones of a long-lost friend and just spend a little time there. Humans go further. We understand, if I, if I say Sherlock Holmes, you know what I'm talking about, even though it's not, not a real person. So we have the image of other people and other, other minds, and this is now a global internet. You know, we have a billion people interacting with each other's minds. But you couldn't, a chimpanzee or an elephant couldn't do that. Yeah, I, I, I would like to keep prodding that. I suppose I just, I don't, sure. I don't quite understand why that is such a, a big distinction. Because if you see an, an intelligent animal mourn um, the loss of a, of a member of its herd or whatever, just because they're not burying it, why does that not mean that they are still grieving the loss of another individual that they recognize that a particular member of their herd is gone? There's only a few examples of these that are clearly documented. It's very rare. Of mourning? Yeah, yeah mourning, yeah. Oh, really? Most mostly animals just move on. Oh, I thought it was quite so common humans, in elephants. No, this is, it's a very popular, I think, I'm not an expert on this, I think it's a misconception. It sounds so nice to say right. that elephants had a funeral, right? right? Okay. So it's really right, people okay. catch on to that and really latch on to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Humans go one step further, you know. I think there's a, a lot of... Uh, so, in fact, in fact, it actually supports the theory. Say, look, all these creatures are already understanding something's going on, something bad happened. So, what's, what's, why aren't they taking the next step? Is it that those creatures then, despite perhaps on occasion recognizing the death of another and perhaps on occasion mourning, 
is it that other animals do not recognize that the death of another logically means or logically brings them to become aware of their own mortality? Well, so you have to understand the mind of others sufficiently to understand when they're gone and then, then transfer that reality to yourself. But then I remember saying to Danny Brown, there can't be a, a mortality denial module in the brain. It's crazy. How do you develop something like that in evolution? I realized later when I got his incomplete manuscript that what he was saying is that we just ignore everything. We corrupt reality at our will. Look, just look around the world today and see what's going on. What, what percent of the people on the planet today are not, not ignoring reality? Mm. It's just, mm. you know, so so, it's, it's a big uh, problem. And the other versions, corruption of reality, modification of reality, etc. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, it's, I think it's particularly prescient to discuss this given the climate crisis. Um, I noticed in your book there were exactly. lots of examples of other forms of denial, uh, reality denial, like, you know, people that smoke when we know that... that we shouldn't, or people that don't do mm -hmm. exercise, people that don't take care of themselves. It's madness. And there is certainly this kind of understanding that being a human being is, in a sense, a form of madness, especially when our globalized economy currently is destroying the very environment upon which we need to live um, and upon which we depend. So what is the theory about how that reality denial came about? Was that in order to combat the terror of being aware of one's own death? Is there a part of the brain in which it kind of um, right. is present? Yeah. So, so I don't think there's a reality denial module per se. It's a separate evolved thing. It's just the ability to modify reality, corrupt reality. And there's many, many versions of this. Cognitive dissonance, the numerous terms for what humans do do not face up to reality. Mm-hmm. That along that that came the package came came the fact that you could ignore your mortality. Mm -hmm. That then you, you cycle into a state of uh, you know interaction with each other and all these other things happen. So, do we have any other examples? We've got not looking after one's health and uh, not looking after the environment. Um, could you give another example of what reality denial looks like in human beings? Vaccine denial. Vaccine denial. So, so many, so many po mm. po po political issues that are ignored. You know, it's just on, goes on and on. Every time you look, humans are ignoring reality. You have major, major, you know, climate earthquakes happen, and people go back and build in the same space again. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. Basically, it's, sorry, it's not going to happen to me. I'm not going to yeah. get hit. You know, I'm a doctor, yeah. so I don't have to <laughs> do my exercise and eat, eat, eat well. You know. <laughs> so then, it, that's it's, 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 no, no. Remember, what comes out of that is optimism. What is optimism? Denial of reality. What is extreme optimism? Extreme denial of reality. Mm. If you didn't have optimism, you couldn't. Humans couldn't move forward. Mm -hmm. So we have these two clashing things. We have there's another term called depressive realism, mm -hmm. which applies to people who, if you really want to know what's going on, talk to a depressed person. They'll tell you. Because they, they actually realize reality more than, than the people. Everybody has an optimistic state of denial, basically. But optimism so, can pay off. You know, my 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 my, my grandfather is a friend of Gandhi, and I wonder what's this man think he's going to take over the British Empire with non-violence? Ridiculous <laughs> idea. But he had the optimism to do it. He paid the price, but mm. 
that shows you that. And then, then, then by theory of mind, his ideas get picked up by Martin Luther King and Mandela and everyone else. Mm-hmm. So he gets the benefit of the optimism, and but the also downside. I mean, we, we go to the point where we just don't think we should worry about it. It'll take care of, take care of itself somehow. So could, Humans are smart. We'll we'll figure it out. Could we delineate then, based on what you've ju- just said about optimism versus realism and depression? That does a depressive disorder perhaps allow people to more accurately and objectively engage with the world as it is? So engaging with the present, yeah, but, but, but exactly. optimism allows for a vision of the future. Yeah, optimism allows you to take all kinds of risks. Mm. You know, it's not that other animals don't take risks. You might see a mountain goat jumping from crag to crag, or an eagle swooping down and having a good time. But you won't see. Or humans will be standing on the thing. I'm going to fly. Mm. So, <laughs> as a human. Mm. Well, I mean, so what is, where, where do we go from here then? If our optimism is actually, um, if our optimism is killing our environment because we are blatantly unable to accept the reality um, of our own destruction and of the planet's inability to continue sustaining the way of life that the West has chosen, what do we do? I sent you some slides in the last slide. I've been thinking about this a lot because many, many solutions have proposed to me and others. I can see the trouble with all of them. On the last slide, I suggest one thing. Time for the, for the females to take over, women to take over. In other words, most of the problems that? on the planet have been caused by, not by humankind, mankind. 90 plus percent of the violence on the planet, all the trouble on the planet is caused by men. Mm. So I think the time has come that the only, only people who can handle this are you know, women. We need more female literacy. We need, we need uh, more female leaders. Mm-hmm. And they're much more empathic, cooperative, helpful. Instead of fighting mm-hmm. over, I mean, just think of what's happening right now. I mean, in the face of this climate change, that people, are, you know, people say, yeah, there is climate change. We agree. But they're going on and on with their previous works. You know, they're not solving the problem. So, It's interesting that you say that because um, the... Uh, only nations thus far to make financial pledges, uh, reparations to the global south for the loss and damage caused by the West's extractivism and by the climate crisis uh, were Scotland, Finland and New Zealand. And at the time of those yes. pledges, they were all being run by women. Well, that's exactly. That's, that's, my, that's my point. Mm. Men have made a big mess. I read in your paper um, the sort of differences between the sexes, possibly. Could you go into that for listeners? Yeah, in general, you find that, uh, so, so the second last slide I said, that f- women tend to be more empathic, more cooperative, and more aware of the re- reality of what's happening. One theory, Sarah heard you suggested that once, once our babies became so weak and helpless, they're born, women needed to get together and their minds had to cling to each other, take care of that, that helpless baby. You know, that's maybe one, one process. In general, depression and realism is much more common in women. And men have autism spectrum disorder more often. But they're not really into, they don't have the full theory of mind sometimes. So, so it, it fits that, that those features of women may be, may be important. Could you argue or has there been any studies done on whether or not theory of mind first developed between mother and child? 
So that's a very, very good point. And that's what Sarah heard you suggest. She suggested that the other apes, gorillas, orangutans, chimpanzees, they take care of the mom. Mom does the, does, the, does the childbirth herself at night, cleans up everything, takes care of the baby, and nobody else is involved. In humans, if you didn't have a, a surrounding support, the mother's helpless, the baby's helpless, they're all going to die. So that's where the, grand, the, 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 the grandmother hypothesis comes in. I'm sure you've heard of that. No, please, please fill us in. Well, the grandmother hypothesis suggests that humans are actually certain orca whales are the only species on the planet that have a postmenopausal survival. According to standard evolution really? theory, everybody who's stopped, yeah, it's only two, two species and one tooth whale. So it's not the, 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 maybe an elephant matriarch who's, who's got a third generation, but she's got her own baby. Hmm. So to have an infertile grandmother, now this this individual is not, so according to standard evolution theory, she shouldn't be there because she's not reproducing. But she's actually helping the survival of her, her genes further down the line. I think humans got into the cycle where this became really important. And I like the idea that it could have started with the attempts of the mother to interact with the, with the baby and also with the other others who are around trying to care for that baby. So, so, yeah, humans, orca whales, and there's one, one form of tooth whale, basically, that have postmenopause. And, and there's a recent study showing that the, the orca whales who are grandmothers, true grandmothers who are infertile, they help the young ones to find food. So that's the theory. It's not formally proven, but it fits all the facts, basically. Mm, mm, fascinating. So one could argue then that I like... <laughs> our collective intelligence and the specialness of the human mind was born from not from like our ingeniousness or these sort of masculine qualities that are particularly attributed to history but to collective feminine intelligence and child rearing yes absolutely wow. there's another symposium i organized about grandmothering that in that carter list that i sent you I sent you a couple of examples we had a symposium also on grandmothering basically could you go through them? Because the listeners won't have access to the slides. You were talking about the Symposium of Grandmothers, and you said that there were other examples on... On, on, on the Carter webpage, yeah, there are several examples of other symposia we had. There one on male violence and aggression. And that's a very, you know, people don't take into account that 90 plus percent of all the violence and trouble on the planet is caused by men. But why? Okay, but 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 why? I mean, if if human beings were living collectively, banding together for for hundreds of thousands of years, different forms of humans, our ancestors, why would that theory of mind, even if it began in a feminine space, why would that not have travelled out to the male members of those of those tribes in the same way? It would because any, it would because any of the genes involved are not on the X chromosome; they're they're part of the. I mean, so, so, so it certainly would affect men too. It's certainly useful to have a few few smart men around. You don't need a lot of them, basically. So that would have come along for the ride in this theory. Right. Okay. On the other hand, if you, yeah. On the other hand, if you are, you know, they they can also cause a lot of trouble. But no, but I suppose this is what I mean. Uh, if they, if if uh, even if it was just a few smart men who were around a sort of collective women's society that were child rearing and you know this theory of mind was developing 
why would it not have subsumed men in the same way? Why is it that men are more re- um, optimistic and take more risks? You know, barring, is it just testosterone? I don't know, it's testosterone, but it's basically uh, less uh, attention to reality and, you know, empathy and cooperation. And it's, it's just happened to be the case with human males, so. Right, that's it, quite simple then. Just less forced to deal with reality. But surely if men were off, I don't know, hunting and putting themselves into dangerous situations and, or, you know, would that not be the equivalent of being faced with their own mortality in the same way that perhaps women were when going through childbirth? Yeah, it's, it's sure at some point, but the men in general are less, uh, have less, less, less of this type of ability to interact with others and understand others. Men are less able to interact with each other and understand others, right? Well, you know, the old, old, old joke, right? Men, 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 men cannot express emotion over telephone. Some men certainly cannot. Yep. <laughs> yeah. No, all, all, all of this is a range, it's a spectrum. It's not, you don't have a box yeah. in one box, another box is a continuum. Of course. So, okay. So let's, so this is fascinating. We have mind over reality um, tran- transition in which the mind becomes capable of ignoring uh, the, well, objective reality and fact. And then we also have um, this awareness of our own death, this, this um, mortality awareness. And these two things arise sort of perhaps spontaneously, concurrently, and they must arrive spontaneously and concurrently in order for the species to continue. I suppose what I'm asking, and I know that this is difficult because, as you said, there's no sort of way for this theory to to be tested, even though it does fit all of the facts. But could we imagine how that um, the mind of reality transition and um, reality denial would have changed or evolved slightly over time, or ca- will it continue to evolve slightly in the future? Or you know, are we stuck yeah. with no, this? No, I, th- I think we, we, we've been through the wormhole already. The human species, humans were around in Africa for hundred thousand years before they spread out, and that one group of humans that came out, you know, were very, very limited. We took over, all the other human-like species are gone. Mm-hmm. Neanderthals, Denisovans, all the others are gone. And now we are taking out the great apes too. Yeah. And so the other thing is something special must have happened to this one group of individuals. Otherwise, there should have been so many. There should have been many human like creatures on the planet, right? Mm-hmm. But we're we alone basically. So you know you can argue that it's just luck, but it have to be luck ten thousand times every time you meet any other humanoid, you basically take them out. Men do that mostly. Hmm. But is there any way that our I don't know, um, the mortality awareness part of our cognition could become more dominant in order to combat this yes. reality denial that is exactly. destroying the planet. So you're talking about fear, basically. And so, yeah, in, in human history, there's one instance where the, the, uh, this worked, and that is when in the Cold War, Mutual assured destruction. And people said, this should never happen. The one time they did that. So humans right. felt that fear at some point. But right. the important point you went back to is that these two, these two oddball 
features of, of human of evolution that don't work very well. They come together one time, one one place, and so probably some group of humans that evolved in Africa, mm-hmm. and later on came and took out everybody else. That also fits all the facts. And it, by the way, there's there's an area of the brain, the frontal lobe and the amygdala, which is very much involved in fear responses and optimism and so on. The highly change in humans compared to chimpanzees. In what way? It's highly what? Just, just in terms of structure and, and link, connections, it's it's part of the brain that has evolved even more than other parts. So, so we have a higher capacity for fear and for optimism. Yes. Yeah. Now, if you try fear, extreme fear, people just freeze up. They don't do anything. Then they give up. Right. The other hand, you extreme optimism, and you just continually have a mess. Uh, just to give you an example, all the learned societies of U.S. that have national meetings, they've all gone back to 100% full, full, full attendance at meetings. If you take any re- research society, prominent society, some, some, some biochemistry society, whatever, they had virtual meetings during the pandemic, and they all back yeah. full, full, full-on meetings. Doesn't matter what's happening to the in a planet, but back business as usual. Somehow right. it'll be okay. okay, you know. Is there any way, because you, you suggest in your paper that perhaps one way to combat the the moment that we find ourselves in history would be to use the same tactics that were used in the Cold War to fear monger, um, because it seems like, that we have to trigger that, trigger that mortality awareness more than the reality denial. That is in quite stark contrast to most of the environmental movements who are not playing, who feel a lot of fear, but don't want to give fear um, to the general public because they don't think that it would be effective and they are instead trying to use hope. What is your opinion on that? So hope hope is a good thing. It's a kind of optimism and it can help and work, but it's not going to be sufficient to, to make the current human population take, really pay attention. You need, so this is the problem. In fact, you have a problem. You want the same brain to have hope and optimism and yet depressive realism at the same time. It's hard for those two things to exist in the same brain. You can't be hopelessly optimistic or hopelessly pessimistic. And somewhere, it needs to be somewhere in the middle to balance the needs, you know. So that's the other problem. That uh, Okay, so say we need both and we need to be somewhere in the middle. Although, is the, is the middle actually the place that we need to be given the severity of the crisis? No, it's not, not the middle. I just meant that it's not to one extreme or the other. You need to adjust to the situation. The climate okay. crisis deserves much more prompt attention. But... You know, how do you, how do you get there? Many people have tried different ways to communicate with the general population. And there's a few scientists and educated people who know, know about what's going on and realize what's happening, but even they're not doing much about it. Well, I think people really don't know or are trying to figure out the, the most effective way of communication that will engender action. And there's there's lots of, you know, very interesting attempts being made and there's a sort of ecosystem of activists around the world attempting different things. Um, but I haven't seen any of them advocate for fear. So this is why I was particularly interested in, in speaking with you. Um, because if your yeah. theory is correct and we have this utter capacity to deny reality that is a sort of evolutionary fluke and one would suggest that the evidence definitely points in that direction. Yeah. I mean, if we need to be yeah battering away at fear in order to get people to change, then that needs to be part of the arsenal of tackling this moment. But unfortunately, fear then generates, you know, 
people freeze up and don't don't give up basically so you got to find the right okay. balance of fear how did they do it in the cold war in the cold war it was basically there the thing called duck and cover uh-huh you know, the, the, the high school students in north america were taught how to yeah, yeah, go yeah. under their seats to avoid a new nuclear yeah so talk to people who grew up at that time and they were scared the the, the, the kids were scared they ducked under their seats as if that was going to protect right. them from a nuclear bomb <laughs> So yeah. there's a lot of that kind of thing. And so the idea of mutually assured destruction. And the other thing about, about uh, nuclear war is it happens and it's very soon. Whereas climate, you know, yeah. we may be causing mm-hmm. as much damage as a nuclear bomb, but it's, it's, it's a little bit coming a bit later. It's not uh, not immediate, you know. It's on its way. And the issue is that uh, with, with society, with, with the system is set up, you need growth. You need not lack of growth is a recession, right? Terrible thing. So capitalism as a system has worked better than many other systems to bring things to people. But now you're mm-hmm. at a point where you can't you can't keep consuming. Mm-hmm. And you know, a recession, terrible word, a recession is when you don't grow. Mm-hmm. So by definition, you have to keep growing forever. Mm-hmm. So I don't see the, where, 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 how we can stop that. Oh, well, I mean, I suppose you'd have to change your definitions, right? And I think that this is what the degrowth squad are active... Um, are pushing for and rightly so um stop pretending that you can decouple gdp with energy and just start contracting your economies in the global north whilst you know sharing more equitably in the global south yeah that's definitely the case i mean it's uh, i haven't i haven't done a lot myself to to propagate this theory because here's a theory from a dead insect geneticist danny brower a living physician scientist who claimed to understood the human mind Mm-hmm. So I think most people in the, in, in, who study these things for primary living, they are not paying attention, basically. So I haven't tried to push it very much. Well, I think, <laughs> honestly, Ajit, I think if you sold it as um, this is a theory that proves women should run the world, I think you'd be on every major <laughs> newspaper and every major TV show around the country. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's obvious. It's actually obvious. It's facing us. It's very obvious that's the only solution. Yeah. I don't see any yeah. other solution. Yeah. But then it's going to take, we at least have 10,000 years of male dominance and extreme dominance. And then now you won't change. I don't know how you go about doing that. You, you know, the you know the people you mentioned, Nicola Sturgeon is retiring. Uh, Jacinda in New Zealand is retiring. They, they, they're saying mm-hmm. it's hopeless. And so their mm-hmm. minds are telling them, you know. Yeah. So they're going yeah. the wrong direction then. Instead, you've got Putin and everybody else causing all the trouble in the midst of this. So. Yeah. I uh I don't know if you can speak to this, but I was I I and many other people I speak to are sort of particularly interested in whatever happened around the time of the agricultural revolution. Um, whatever drove uh, mankind, which had a pretty good life, a lot of leisure time from what we understand, uh, mm-hmm. to then devote themselves to work. What would that have and that also seems to be the and somebody who's an expert will call me out on this, I'm sure. But to me, that seems sort of the logical beginning as well for male domination in this sense. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think happened around the time of the agricultural revolution? Can you apply your theory to it in any way so as to shed light on what would have driven that decision and then how that would have impacted the social organization at the time? That's really, the, the game is already over by the time. Humans have oh, evolved really? and have this. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the, of the 
I'm talking something that happened about 200,000 years ago, right? Humans emerging with this kind of mind is different. Agriculture is just one strong example of what we can do with the human mind once you start controlling things. But that's there's evolution not going on now because humans are scattered all around. So, so it's really something that happened at some point. It's the point I need to make that I'm talking about a particular evolution event which can explain what's happening now. But if you're not going to change it, it's right. done. Well, could would those two ways of engaging with reality, both reality denial and mortality awareness, could could they not evolve in some way after the sort of singular evolutionary event? So once you've got a population, probably 10,000 individuals that came out of Africa, spread all across the planet, separate from each other, you, you, can't, you can't do evolution on the whole planet. Oh, I see. So yes. there's, only, there's a lot of cult, cultural evolution, but physical evolution is not taking place. Right. And so, you know, there, you know, we, we all behave as, as, as an intelligent designer. That says, I'm going to make humans this way. There's no evidence mm-hmm. for intelligent designers. So we are what we are, and we came through this, and I don't think we can go back. But if we can find ways to convince people to pay attention, then it might work. But I'm, I'm pessimistic, honestly. So I, I've moved over to that side of pessimism and grasping at straws to so what can be done. Right, okay. Um, have your team, uh, have your research group looked at, um, well, I don't know, any way to apply this knowledge now in terms of, apart from just electing women, um, which the global mm-hmm. population doesn't seem to be willing to do yet, is there anything that collectively, is there anything else collectively that we can do uh, that this knowledge sheds light on? Yeah, I think it's... Uh... Realizing that we have a problem, that it's not, we're not as smart as we think we are, that most people are in fact in denial. Recognize that problem can help. But what do you do about it? I don't know. You know, mm. you can put something in drinking water that changes people's minds, and you don't, can't do that. You, you, have, you have to find some way to communicate with all humans and make them realize what's happening. Those who realize what's happening are a minority, or they're, they're, they're disadvantaged. So I've been I've been a bit pessimistic about the whole situation myself. Given that there is a difference between males and females in terms of reality denial, optimism, depression, um, it, could we establish? I know that you said that this sort of is an evolutionary event that happened before our ancestors left Africa, but is there? I'm just thinking about the populations in the, in the global south who have been horribly exploited um, and enslaved and had everything stolen from them, who are probably in a much better place to accept reality as it is, yes. certainly to do with the climate crisis. Does right. that necessarily dictate that, I don't know, your, your privilege in relation to where you are in the world will impact your optimism or your capacity for reality denial? Uh, that certainly would be the case, I think so. And th- But we're not doing anything about the, the people who suffered, so not doing much yeah. enough. They're the ones who are going to suffer more from climate change too. We're all going to suffer. I mean, that's... The other thing I notice is that, you know, every day I turn on the TV, listen to the news, they'll tell you what the Dow Jones Industrial Average is doing. They'll tell you the, the NASDAQ, everything else. They don't, they don't tell you that there's gigantic f- floods and 
horrible things happening all over the world. They mention it. Oh, there's something called climate change. Maybe we're going. This is even from the from the good media. You know, the media are paying attention. Yeah. They're also yeah. in denial, basically. Yeah. Yeah, this week in the UK, we've got um, a mad furor over Roald Dahl and the fact that his books have been slightly rewritten to edit out, you know, problematic language. And I've seen article after article after article on it. And at the same time, uh, you know, New Zealand is recovering from its cyclone. There's another cyclone that's headed uh, somewhere else in the world. There's huge floods. South Africa. South Africa has been hit. California is just recovering right now. We've been lucky in San Diego to avoid it, but massive problems it's all over the world it's happening but we're not paying attention yeah it is um all right so essentially some people are in a better position to see reality for what it is those people are typically not people in power in decision making rooms in the global north those people are typically not men um one way to perhaps trigger an emergency response would be to fear monger An effective way would be to elect women and end the reign of men. Uh, But so far, it looks like none of these things are are going to happen. Could it be that when um, suffering really catches up with Western nations, that because surely there has to be a point where suffering saturates and your reality Mm -hmm. denial, you just can't anymore, you know? maybe would that be a point then where we could see sort of changes being made although it would probably be too late yeah it's probably too late by the time that happens basically it's happening much faster than anybody had predicted it's kind of curious now people are complaining the scientists didn't tell us how fast it's going to happen previously they complained of the scientists talking about theories and now it's happening and they say how come you didn't tell us it's going to happen it's moving much faster than anybody thought you know a number of things that are happening and climate is just one of them. There's so many other things, you yeah. know. The... Yeah, biodiversity crisis, also just resource theft crisis, greed crisis. Okay, so uh, this could your theory could explain why we are where we are today, and so far it doesn't look like we're getting out of it anytime soon. Great, <laughs> great. Yeah. Um, what's next for your? Are you continuing research with this theory, or is that it? No, I'm I'm done very little research on this theory. I'm not an expert on it. I study difference between humans and chimpanzees at biological levels and diseases and so on. Mm-hmm. That's what my focus is on. I don't think I can, as an individual, you know, be con- I'm not in a position to convince convincing people about what to do on something like this. So I'm being realistic about it. I do okay. things myself that I can contribute, but I don't really intend to go out and do what, do what Greta Thunberg did, you know, so. Yeah, yeah. But, how, has, how has your book been received by the sort of scientific community? No, it mostly, mostly it's been ignored, mostly. Well, it's been some years, and so I wrote that brief summary in, in that one symposium on death, and I sent that to you, and that's yeah, what all I can say about it. I don't know what else to say. Well, Ajit, this has been absolutely fascinating. I'm going to direct everybody towards your book. Um, Thank you. Thank you for your time and thank you for your research. My final question for you is, who would you like to platform? Ramanathan at Skitson Institute Oceanography here in San Diego. Mm -hmm. He's played a major role in trying to do something about this. He went to the Pope. Oh, wow. 
can only support to hear actually another Indian, interestingly. Both Hindus, not, not Christians, went and convinced the Pope. So Ram's idea was that if, you, if the Pope can tell the Catholics what to do, you cover a big fraction of the, of the planet, right? Mm-hmm. So I, he more recently said to me, he said, so you're right, it's not, 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 not working. Because no, 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 nobody's really following the Pope's encyclical either. So I think Ram would be a good person to talk to because he's been involved in this all along. I mean, he's he's involved in, he's a serious climate scientist. So. Excellent. Ajit, thank you so much. If you want to learn more, I've put links to everything over on planetcritical.com where you can subscribe to support this podcast and read the weekly essays inspired by each interview. If you liked this episode, leave a review and share it far and wide. If you loved it, support the project with a paid subscription at planetcritical.com. As always, thank you to the Planet Critical community who support the show and make all of this work possible. Thank you all for listening. See you next week. 